You can turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And as you do that, I'm going to read this story to you. There was a pastor who, after his usual Sunday evening hymn, stood up and walked over to the pulpit before he gave his sermon for the evening, briefly introduced a guest minister who was in the service for just that evening. In his introduction, the pastor told the congregation that the guest minister was one of his dearest childhood friends and that he wanted him to have a few moments to greet the church and share whatever he felt would be appropriate for the service. Without an elderly man stepped to the pulpit and began to speak, a father, his son, and a friend of his were sailing off the Pacific coast, he began, when a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with the two teenagers who were for the first time since this... I'm sorry, the old man hesitated for a moment, but making eye contact with two teenagers who were for the first time since the service began looking somewhat interested in his story. The aged minister continued his story, grabbing a rescue line. The father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He had only seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian and also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of the waves. As the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of the night. His body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were, were sitting straight up in the pew, anxiously awaiting the next words to come out of the old minister's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with the father. He continued, he continued, knew his son and, and he continued that he could not bear the thought of the son's friend stepping into hell. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save his son's friend. With that, the old man turned and sat back down in his chair and silence filled the room. The pastor again walked slowly to the pulpit and delivered a brief sermon. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. That was a nice story, politely stated the boys. But I don't think it's realistic for a father to give up his son's life in hopes that another boy would become a Christian. Well, you've got a point there, the old man replied, glancing down at the worn Bible. A big smile broadened his narrow face. He began again look, looking up at the boys and said, It sure isn't realistic, is it? But I'm standing, but I'm standing today to tell you the story gives me a glimpse of what it must, be, must have been like for God to give up his only son for me. You see, I was the father and your pastor was the son's friend. Romans chapter 5. As we look in this concept of reigning in life, that we are called to reign in life. We want to look at the idea of being qualified to reign. What is it that has qualified us to reign? And we find this over in Romans chapter 5. Remember our first verse we took out of here? For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, verse 17, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. We will reign in life 
through one Jesus Christ. But what has qualified us to reign? Sometimes before we take the reign in our own life, we're sometimes faced with that question. Why should I? Why qualifies me to do that? I'm this and I'm that and I'm no good and I shouldn't be doing this. But in verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter here. We could pick out all kinds of things all through this, but we're really focusing on a certain area and we're going to try and stay with that because we have a lot of Scripture to read here today. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How is it that we access the grace of God that saved us? Through faith. That's stated in other places in the Word of God as well. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were rec- reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. So who do we get reconciliation through? Jesus Christ. We have faith in Jesus Christ in the work that He did and that gives us access into the grace of God. The grace of God gives us access to what we do not deserve. What we deserved was death. What we got was life. So we don't deserve it, but because of the work of Jesus, we receive it. Therefore, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin for unto the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who was a type of him who was to come but the free gift is not like the offense for if by one man's offense many died much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man Jesus Christ abound to many Now, we can get again into all the details of this, and there's a lot of good details in it. But basically, it is this, that because of what Adam did, sin has dominated mankind. And and sin was not imputed until the law was put in. But even when it was not imputed, it still dominated mankind through the one man's offense. And even if man did not follow in Adam's offense, it made no difference. Sin still dominated them. You could be born in this world And if you possibly lived sin-free, you would still be under the dominance of sin because of the one man, not the one woman Eve, the one man, Adam. This is why, of course, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin to bypass the bondage of sin, to live a life sinless and therefore be able to bring us into freedom. That's why that is all so important. It's also extremely important that Jesus Christ is God. There's a whole lot of folks out there and, and other religions who will tell you that Jesus Christ was a good man, that Jesus Christ was the highest of all God's creations 
and all these other things. And it's, sometimes we can say, well, I guess I can accept that. That's, that's fine. I can still worship Him and they'll still worship Him and that's all fine. No, Jesus Christ had to be God. He had to become man. He wasn't 50-50. He was God. He became man. He lived sinless, was not born under the penalty of sin and therefore could pay for our penalty. And we didn't have to, to come under that. Verse 16. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So what came by one and affected many, in the same way Jesus Christ came as one and affected many, but total opposite, instead of condemnation, He is bringing justification. Now this is all super important for us to understand because after this He gets into this part about reigning. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. If you receive a gift, did you buy it? Did you earn it? It is a gift. It was given to you. And though all of us know this about it, very seldom do we have the right outlook when it comes to the gift of righteousness. It is impossible for you to reign in life if you do not understand righteousness. Any lack you have in the area of righteousness will completely hinder you from reigning. This is why he spent 16 verses talking about the sin problem before we ever got into reigning in righteousness. You must understand your freedom from it. You are qualified to reign. But if you do not understand that you've been qualified, you won't walk in it. If we ask you this question, are you righteous? You'll get a number of, questions, a number of responses from people. If you go to one believer, are you righteous? Well, not right now, but I hope to be one day in a great by and by. Well, no, only Jesus is righteous. Doesn't that sound good? How many of you ever thought some of these things or said some of them yourselves? Well, I'm trying and I hope to be found righteous when I get to heaven. I hope. These are all wrong answers. If you think these things, if you would have answered these things, you do not have the right view of righteousness. The correct answer to, are you righteous? Are you ready for this? Yes. That's it. Are you righteous? Yes. Now, if you begin to, if somebody comes to you and says, are you righteous? And you say yes. How many have a tape player playing on the inside of them about all the things they did yesterday? And you know, the devil loves to come up and remind you of all this stuff. Wait a minute, hold on. Last week, yesterday, the day before. And the, 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 the um, news media was not the first one to come up with video clips. How many of you all know the devil plays video clips to prove to you why you're not righteous? And you see a video clip of you doing something. You hear a tape of you thinking something. And what does it do? Causes you to become disqualified? No, I guess I'm not righteous. No. Another question you might be given is, are you forgiven? Well, I hope so. I hope so. 
I've asked Him to forgive me. I hope He forgives me. I hope I'm forgiven. Now, if you say, no, I'm, I know I'm forgiven. I'm, I know that. Then how, how many of you have ever asked forgiveness for the same thing? Why did you do that? How many of you, see if you've done this one. Maybe this one you'll, you'll find yourself in. How many of you have a sin that you just always seem to be falling into? You want to raise your hand? Always seem to be falling, always bothered by this. It seems like you're always stepping in this one. And you come back to God and you say, Father God, I'm sorry, I did it again. How many have ever said that? Yeah, that's wrong. Because as soon as you do that, what you are doing is qualifying the forgiveness you are about to receive based on your knowledge of constantly failing. But when Jesus says He forgives, does He not say He also that it is covered under the blood, that it is done with? So why are we going to God that way? Because I am mindful of something other than righteousness. Answers to these questions and other questions that are like it are based on ignorance, works, and faith and grace. Or faith by grace. Whichever way you want to put that. Ignorance, works, or faith and grace. An ignorant answer is you just don't know what the Word of God says about you and you answer accordingly to what people have said. To what sounds spiritual. To what sounds humble. Does it sound humble to say, Yes, I am the righteousness of God. Or does it sound more humble to say, well, I'm trying to attain to that righteous. And that sound more, more humble? And so we fall into that. Ignorance. Works. We can get into a works mentality. If I am trying to attain to that righteousness, then what I am trying to do is wear His cloak of righteousness by making it myself. And I can't make it myself. Cannot make that myself. Until I have the right outlook, I will not rule in rain. You will not rule in rain. This, and here's why. Until I have the right outlook, I will not rule and reign. Here's why. Guilty people do not reign in life. Guilty people do not reign in life. They don't reign. They are caught up with something. People are guilty of a thing then the people who know about the guilt use that over them. How many times have we heard that with politicians or doing things or different people in um, uh, different outlets or different places are doing things because somebody has pictures of something or somebody has a story on something. Guilty people do not reign in life. When you are guilty of something, then the one who, who holds the secret of that guilt has mastery over you. If you have a politician and they were caught doing something, dipping their hand in the till, stealing some money, then the person who knows that secret, all they have to do is pull that out, right? They have mastery over that politician. All they got to say is, if you don't do what I want, I will let everybody know that you stole money. All right, well, I guess I'll have to go through. And they're, not, they're not rolling and raining anymore. The one who has the, the, the facts that keep them guilty, they rule and reign. So if you let Satan come in and make you guilty of a past sin that you've already asked forgiveness for, you cannot rule and reign. You should rule and reign. 
But you cannot rule and reign with that mentality. You must stand up to Satan and say, No! God already knows about that. It's already taken care of. And, and let it go. Just, just have that, that go on. Don't keep holding this over. Now, it's, it's real good for us to say, well, alright, I know my heart and I know that I walk a certain way and um, if I've messed up before and I've said I'm going to make it right, then everybody should believe me, right? But far be it that we should do that to other people. Other people ought to live under the thing that they have for, for a while. And we're not always as willing to give second chances to, to folks. We saw that come firsthand here to Philadelphia when Michael Vick got signed to a contract here for the Eagles, didn't he? Now, I will tell you, the first off, I was surprised at that. Of all the 32 teams that were in there, this was about the last place I thought he would land. First off, I didn't think we needed him. And secondly, I didn't think they'd want him. But when I heard that he was let out of prison and wanted to get back in the NFL, my immediate thought was, well, he ought to be given the opportunity. I mean, did he not pay the penalty for what he did? Certainly he did. And, you know, I... I I, I like dogs, some. Not all. But I like some dogs. And, but I wouldn't want to see any dog be treated the way that they were treating them. When do you want to see cats treated that way? Believe it or not. <laughs> when do you want to see that done? But you know, if, if someone's going to get caught doing something like that and then they, they come on back and genuinely repent, should you give them a second chance? Well, do you deserve a second chance? No. You don't deserve a second chance. You don't even deserve a first chance. But thank God you don't get what you deserve. <laughs> you know why you don't get what you deserve? Because of grace. Because of the grace of God. We don't get what we deserve. So all those people want to be out there saying, well, Michael Vick ought to get what he deserved. I'll tell you what, he paid a bigger price than most people did for the same thing that he was going on. And uh, I'm all for it. I would have given him a second chance just for the fact that he... He paid his price and was ready to go on. But I'll tell you what, Tony Dungy gets there when he starts talking for you. That's a character person right there. You got him in your corner. No wonder that the NFL put him back in. Because they like Tony Dungy. I don't blame him. He's, a, he's an upstanding guy. And if he sees character in, the, in, the, in him, Tony Dungy left uh, coaching football. He's out there helping people in prison and stuff. And I'm not sure how the whole visit got on, but somehow Tony visited Michael Vick in prison. How many of y'all heard the uh, uh, news conference when uh, Michael Vick was introduced as the Eagle? Anybody heard that one? I heard that one. I was impressed, as, as, as impressed with anything I've seen the Eagles do with that day. Andy Reid was out there, and the reporters are out there, and Coach Tony is out there, and, and they're asking questions. And the beginning part I saw, they were asking most of the questions to Coach Tony. And, uh, and, and, and Tony was talking about how he visited him in, in the prison, and how Michael Vick had opened up, that, you know, he's raised in church, and got away from it and wanted to get back to it and uh, Tony was helping him get back to that spot. Well, glory to God. Why in the world wouldn't you want to help somebody get back to that spot? Give them a, Stop harping on them for what they did in the past. No one's harping on you for what you did in the past. Some people don't even know what you did in the past. That's alright. If God knew it and God forgive it, no one else needs to know about it. You just let it go. But I was impressed with all that. I thought it was funny too. One of the reporters said, Coach, and um, Coach Dundee uh, went to answer it, and Andy Reid got up and said, I think he's talking to me this time. <laughs> uh, it sure was. But uh, my hat's off to them. Certainly, it's, they, they put themselves in a position where they'll receive a whole lot of criticism. And it's tough because there's really very little upside in it for them. But I'll tell you what, you have an opportunity to give people a second chance. You go on out there and do it. 
If they flub up, that doesn't mean you never give anybody a second chance again. You don't, it doesn't mean you give anybody a third chance again or a fourth chance. You give them as many chances as you can. As many chances they come on back and you see genuine uh, confession, genuine, uh, I want to change my life, then you give them the hand to get, that, get to that place. And I'm certainly in Michael Vick's corner. It's going to be tough though. Think, you know, all the time I'm always looking at our defense, get them! Not in a hurtful way, just, you know, don't let them run. <laughs> but guilty people, folks, they don't reign in life. If you're always thinking that this guilt's going to be out there, it's going to catch up with you. If the devil can keep you under with guilt, you will not reign. You have got to get past the guilt. Get past the guilt, you can reign in life. Timid people. The timid do not reign in life. The Word of God tells us to be bold. Timid people don't reign. How many of you watched movies about kings? And the king was started, kingdom was started by a bold king who made bold moves. And then a timid king comes up afterwards. And what happens? He doesn't rule and reign in the same way. And things happen in the kingdom that shouldn't have happened. The timid do not reign in life. Nor do those who see themselves as unrighteous. If you do not see yourself as righteous, you will not rule and reign with Him because you've constantly disqualified yourself. But God has qualified you. So let's look at this question. How do I become righteous? Look over in Luke chapter 15. Verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. So his attitude here was of such that, you know, the servants in my father's household are doing better than I am. I'm going to head on back and see if uh, they'll let me become a servant. And he comes on back and what does he do? Confessed his sin. I'm, uh, I missed it. I blew it. I did what was wrong. I sinned before you. I sinned before heaven. Just make me one of your hired servants. It's really all I deserve. And what does the father do? He puts a robe of a son on him. He puts a ring of a son on him. And he throws a party he would not throw for a hired servant. 
but one he would throw for a son. What's he doing? Restoring. He's giving forgiveness. He's bringing forgiveness to him. Now, see, now, here's what has to happen. There's two things that have to happen. I wrote this in your outline. Let me give it to you the way we, we gave it to you there. The first, he confessed his wrong. That's the first thing. You've got to confess your wrong. And here's the second one. Receive the robe of a son. He had to receive the robe of a son. He said, I don't deserve it. But when the father brought it, he had to receive it, didn't he? He had to put it on. He had to act, from that point on, act like a son. Now, put yourself in this son's shoes. You are walking around the house. The hired servants are here. And you're looking at them. Everyone knows you blew it. Everyone here in the household knows that you took half of the wealth of this house and blew it on riotous living. Couldn't manage even half of it and then came crawling back to live off the rest. How would you feel? How many times would you as that son disqualify yourself from ruling and reigning? How many times would we say, I don't deserve to be here? I don't deserve to be a son? And just wake up in the morning and cast off the robe of the son, cast off the ring of the son, and put on the servants, and the father would come out and see you wandering around like a servant, doing servant chores, and doing the things of the servant, not being a son. And what's he going to say to you? Why are you doing this? You are a son. You have been, yeah, but I just don't, I just don't think so. I don't think I deserve it. I don't think I should be here. Not really feeling like, a, like this is what I deserve or where I should be. And we put ourselves back into the area of a servant. We're not ruling and reigning. But is it the Father's doing? It's the Son's doing. Now look at the people that were around. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, that's what these meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. How many times do we surround ourselves with other Christians, or just being surrounded by other Christians, and they know about our past, they know about the things that we did, and we let them cause us to be disqualified. We let them make us feel like I don't reign anymore. They know about what I did. They know about what I was involved with. They know where I was. They know where I lack. And I don't deserve the rule and reign over them. They're more qualified than I am. Here comes this son. For all these years, I've been faithful to you. I haven't gone out and been riotous. I haven't gone out and disobeyed your commandment. Whatever you said you wanted done in a day, I did it. Whatever you said was your will, I made sure I maintained it. I did that all the days of my life and never one time did you kill a fatted calf for me. And the father said, fatted calves have been here all the time. They're at your disposal. But why shouldn't we make merry when your son who was dead, when your brother, my son who was dead, has come back? 
That's, that's a hard mentality for us to maintain, isn't it? How many of you have been in this kind of places? Been around people who knew your shortcomings? Knew the things that you did that weren't so good? And as soon as you want to rule and reign, you're thinking, they're going to be thinking, I don't deserve to be ruling and reigning. I shouldn't be here. They know what I did. They know what I don't do. And we get disqualified from it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20 if you would. For the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for Daenerys a day, he sent them into his very village or vineyard. How much did they agree to work for? A denarius. About a day's wage is what that represented. Did they agree? Did he come to them and say, if you work for the day, you'll get this? And they said, yeah, that's fair. All right, we'll come work for the day. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also, go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Did they agree upon a price? Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. They didn't work as long, did they? But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. Well, if they gave a denarius for these guys who just worked a short time, and these other ones who just worked a few more hours, and these other ones who worked a few... How about us who worked here all day? All day. We've been here since the early morning. But what did they agree to work for? A denarius. And when those came or were hired about the... Whoops, we already did that one. Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a Daenerys. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. They worked during the coolest part of the whole thing. They had to work during the hottest part. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. But many are called but few are chosen. If people get the viewpoint of you because you rule and reign and they look at your history and they say because of your history, because of what you have done, you shouldn't be ruling and reigning over disease. You shouldn't be ruling and reigning over sickness. You shouldn't be ruling and reigning over finances. You should be bearing the burden of poverty. You should be bearing the burden of sickness and disease. This is something you should do because of who you are. If they do that, then they are like these folks that the Master didn't say very good things about. Go your way. You got what you deserved. It is the Master who has qualified you. 
The Master has given to each one the same, no matter if you got born again at a young age or you got born again on your deathbed. It makes no difference. We're all saved by faith into grace. And we are all given righteousness. Now, here's the reason why you can say, I am righteous. If someone comes up to you and says, are you righteous? You can say, I am righteous. Because the righteousness that we have, Romans 5 taught us about. It's whose righteousness? It's His. It's the righteousness of the first Adam. Or second Adam. Not the first Adam and not you. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness. And so what it is, is He was born of a virgin. He was God, became man, lived life sinless. And therefore had victory over sin. And so the cloak of righteousness was put upon Him. And then He gives it to you. There's another parable we could have gotten into too. That talked about how people came to the wedding feast. And then one person got in and didn't have the right robe on. You must wear the robe that He's given. It is His robe. It is not yours. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, you cannot be righteous enough. But He already was. So when the devil comes to you and says, you're not righteous enough. You can't rule and reign in this life. Sickness, disease is going to have dominance over you, at least some, because of all the stuff that you did. You say, Jesus didn't do it. I wear His righteousness. His righteousness qualifies me. And until you have the mentality that you can stand up to your accusers in this way, you will not rule and reign, even though you're called to. You must have a righteous mentality. You must have a mentality mentality that says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. David Ingalls wrote a song about that. I love playing that every once in a while. I get that going in my head. I am the righteousness of God. Through Jesus Christ, I wear His righteousness. When I stand before God, God sees His Son, Jesus. He sees His righteousness. My sinfulness was replaced by His righteousness. And I don't wear sin anymore. I wear righteousness. And I'm free from that stuff. Walk free of it. It's not pride. It's not walking in pride. It's not not being humble. It's understanding what the truth says. The truth says you are righteous. We have got to stop being sin conscious. The devil wants us to get sin conscious because as long as he keeps us sin conscious, he can keep us sick. He can keep us defeated. He can keep these things overwhelming us. Sometimes we think, well, I deserve all the problems I'm getting in business. I deserve all the problems I'm getting in my health. I deserve all the problems that I'm getting in this area that I want to have victory in. I deserve it because I didn't walk right. I didn't do this. But you don't get what you deserve in the area of grace. But that's a mentality that has to be maintained. It does not just go on. Now, most of us know about righteousness teaching. Most of us have had righteousness teaching. We've taught it here a number of times. And we, we go into it. But it's like anything. You must maintain it. How many of you have a car that is working right now? Is that guaranteed to work next month? There's things that you have to do with it, right? Put gas in it. Check the oil. Do some stuff with it. Do some maintenance on it. You know that Pennsylvania forces you to go out there and have it inspected. Make sure that the stuff is taken care of because otherwise you might not take it in to have your brakes looked at until they're squeaking or they don't stop. That's not so good. 
You won't take your transmission in to be looked at until you're making all kinds of funny noises or until part of it falls out on the ground. And then you take it in there to, to have it looked at. That's not so good. Maintenance is good. You want to continue to maintain the car, continue to do the things that are, are, are on the car. We have a neighbor who is constantly maintaining his car. I've talked to his dad about it. He says, boy, he is out there all the time with that thing. I think it's uh, once, twice a week, he pops the thing up on the... Um, uh, uh, jucks it up and then what do they call those uh, stationary ones you put underneath? I can't think of the name of them. What's that? Uh, not, no, they're not ramps. Just a little stuff. Once he pumps them up, he puts this underneath and that holds it and he... The jack stands, there you go. That'll work. Right. Um, he'll put that on there. All four of them, all the way around. The whole car is lifted off. And he pulls all the tires out. And he gets in there and he cleans out. I don't know what all he cleans out. But he cleans out all kinds of stuff. And sometimes he puts the same tires back on or sometimes he switches them out for some other tires. And then next week, he'll do the same thing again. He's out there doing the whole thing. And I talked to his dad about it. I says, man, I tell you what, he puts us to shame. He said, we don't work on our cars nearly that much. And he says, yeah, but that's all he's got. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess that's so. It's all he has. <laughs> but, you know, you keep doing some maintenance on some things and those things will help out. They'll, they'll hold up for you. You want to be out there and, 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 and do those maintenance. Change your oil on a regular basis. Put the gas, get the gas going on with the, the things you've got to do. All that. You want that thing to be around when you need it to, to be working, right? What could hinder me? Well, the first thing that could hinder you in this, this kind of a walk is how I feel. How you feel will certainly hinder you. How many of you know this one? I just don't feel saved. I know God saved me. I just don't feel saved. I want God just to give me a, just rejuvenate me and that I feel saved. So we're going to talk about feeling saved? But if you get focused on feeling saved, I don't feel safe today. He's going to put you into some things you wouldn't otherwise do. You're operating in an area of ignorance there. I just don't feel forgiven. God, I know I asked you this yesterday, but I just don't feel like you forgave me. That's an insult. Stop insulting God. If God says He'll do something, He'll do it. You may not feel like you deserve the thing, or that you're worthy of forgiveness, but you better take Him at His word. So sometimes you don't feel like you're forgiven. Just go to God and say, Father God, I don't feel forgiven, but thank you that it doesn't depend on me feeling forgiven. It depends on what you did. And you said that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, for doing that. And then just go on. Who cares if you feel saved? Who cares if you feel forgiven? doesn't matter. You've got to get off this feeling thing. Sometimes some people, they don't get up out of bed because they don't feel right. I don't feel like getting up out of bed. I feel like staying here in the bed. No, you better get going. Stop being led by your feelings. How many of y'all know when you were younger you could do certain chores when you felt like it? But now, you got to get those chores done whether you feel like it or not. Hmm. Not always about how you feel. How many of you get to work and don't feel like it? You know, sometimes I get in that shop, I don't feel like making a bunk bed. Sometimes I get into that, I made three bunk beds last week. I don't want to make another bunk bed. I don't feel like making another bunk bed. Sometimes it takes me an hour inside that shop moving around doing things before I feel like doing anything. And even then, I still don't feel like it. But then I grab the sander and start sanding, even though I don't feel like sanding. 
start sanding and then getting some more sanding done and after a while you, you get going. But if you keep giving into what you feel, you know what? People don't pay me to not make them. They pay you to make them. And you don't get paid until you get it done. So you better feel like it pretty soon. Because <laughs> you can go through the whole day and you may have uh, done some things, but if you didn't do what's, what's going to, you know, what your boss wants, what needs to be done, if you didn't do what needs to be done around the house because you didn't feel like doing that. you got to get off that feeling part and just get yourself on out there. I may not feel like it today, but I'm going to get out there and do it. So what could hinder me? How I feel can certainly do that. What I know, that can hinder you. I just don't know that God will do that. How many have ever thought that? Well, I really messed up pretty bad. I just don't know if God will forgive me of that. I mean, that was a big deal. Well, I seem to be doing that every day I have to come to Him with this. I don't think, I think God's losing His patience with me. I think God's just done with me. I don't know if God will do that. We have a lack of knowledge in some of these things. That's going to hinder you. If you don't know that God will do it, and you give in to the feeling, I just don't know. I don't know if God will do that or not. You better find out. Will He do it or will He not? How many of you ever been driving a car and says, I just don't think the police stop you if you're just seven miles over the speed limit. Well, you better find out if they will. We were over at Bert's house a few weeks ago. She has a nice sign out in her neighborhood by a stop sign. Complete stop, free. Rolling stop, $125. Your choice. <laughs> Something along this line. I thought, that's, that's pretty good. There you go. They'll let you know. I just don't think they'll stop me if I... I mean, I mostly stopped. Hmm. Well, I just don't know if that's true. You better find out if it's true. Too many people are acting on knowledge of God. They just don't know it's true. How many times have you heard people, well, I don't think God will do that if you haven't done anything bad. I don't think God will send people to hell if you haven't killed anybody. You know, done anything really horrible. I don't think God will do that. Yeah. I don't think God will do that. Well, you better know. I know God will. And I've acted accordingly. You better know. Time isn't to find out when you get before the throne. Before the judgment. That's not the good time. Can't make decisions there. How I feel. What I know. How about this one? What I confess. I'm such a sinner. Seems like I always have been a sinner in that area. I always will be a sinner in that area. I just can't get victory over in that area. I don't know what I'm going to do. Such a sinner. Well, we feel funny going around saying, I am righteous. How many of you feel funny about doing that? Would you go up to your neighbor? They say, how you doing? I'm righteous. I am perfect in every way. How many of you would say that to your neighbor? Uh-uh. And our excuse is they'll take it wrong. Right? Maybe we ought to start making them take some things wrong. What I confess, stop going around talking about sinner. Well, you know, we all have that problem. Yeah, I know. We all do. Oh, yeah. don't, don't we do that? 
What I confess. Yeah, but I'm just no good. I'm just no good. I just have no reason for being here. I'm not really adding anything. I'm just no good. We just go around confessing that. Sometimes we just think it, but sometimes we come out and confess it. We've got to be careful. So what could hinder me? How I feel? What I know? What I confess? Here's the other one. What others say? How many of you ever heard other people say things about you? You're nothing. Never were anything. Never will be anything. You're just nothing. Or how about this? You're just Steve. Whoever. You're just Bill. You're just George. Just you, just you. What do you mean you're righteous? What do you mean you reign? You're just you. I know who you are. You're nothing special. And they say things like this. And we begin to allow those things to, to come into us. Now they'll, they'll, they'll say stuff in this line too. Well, looks like you're going to die. Looks like you'll always suffer with that. I pray that your suffering will be better, at least bearable. They'll say this stuff over us. You're called to rule and reign. Some things you just shouldn't tolerate being said in front of you. Well, here's what you need to do. First off, stop waiting for validation. Stop waiting for people to validate you. Stop waiting for some feeling to validate you. Some Stop waiting for some angel to show up and validate you. Stop waiting for validation. You have the Word of God. The Word of God says you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. By faith, through grace, you got it. Stop waiting for other things to validate you. Stop waiting for the right feelings. Stop waiting for the right thoughts, the right situations. Quit it. From this point on, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I will rule and reign in righteousness. I cannot rule and reign with any other mentality. Stop waiting for emotional confirmation. Stop waiting to feel like it. Stop waiting to feel like you are a ruler. Like you deserve to reign. Stop, stop sitting there waiting to feel like you're healed. To feel like you've got victory in that situation. No, I've got victory in that situation. How dare that thing try and hold me back? It can't. I rule and reign. That's the mentality we have to have. Stop waiting for this stuff. Start or keep acting on what you know. That's the first thing. Act on what you know. Be acting on what you, you, you know a lot of things to do. Act on it. Don't sit around on it. Act on the knowledge that you have. Act on the knowledge of who you know God is. Act on the righteous knowledge that you have right now. Act on it. Act like it's so. Act like it's true. Like mom was saying out there. Go on out. Bring, bring in a, bring out a big basket. Act like you know it's true. Act like I'm going to get something. I'm going to get this. I'm going into the presence of God and I'm going to receive something. How many times have we said, well, I've gone into the presence of God before and I haven't gotten anything. Probably won't get anything today either. But I'll go in. Just in case. Who knows? Something might happen. Mm. Start or keep acting what you know. Increase and renew what you know. 
Just because you learn a truth doesn't mean that you're done with it. Go back there and renew it. Go over it again. Increase it. Study it more. Go into it deeper. You've been walking in that truth for a while now. I bet you can handle deeper truth on that. And God's ready to give it to you. If you'll spend some time. Increase and renew what you know. Act on what you already do know. And increase and renew those areas as well. This is what you need to do. Keep reigning. Don't let any other mentality get a part of you except for a righteous one. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. It doesn't matter how many people you killed. If that were the case. It doesn't matter how much you robbed. How many banks you stole things from. It doesn't matter what you said or what you felt. You come to God and say, Father God, that's a wrong feeling. That's a wrong thing I said. That's a wrong thing I did. I ask your forgiveness. What's He going to do? Well, I'm not sure if you qualify yet. Let's wait on tomorrow. Let's wait on tomorrow and see how good you are. See how long you stay out of it. If you stay out of it a while, all right, I'll go ahead and forgive you. Does He do that? No, that's not His Word. But we live like that. Don't live that way. You are in victory. You cannot reign in life unless you have a righteous mentality. This is why it is attacked the way that it is. And why it is so much trying to get you to be sin conscious. You are very conscious of your shortcomings. You are very conscious of what you cannot do, what you have not done, and what you will not do for God. Aren't we? Every day it seems like we're conscious of that. Be conscious of what Jesus Christ has done. I wear His righteousness. Can what you do today affect the righteousness of Jesus Christ one, two thousand years ago? Can a single sin you do today cause harm to the righteousness that Jesus Christ Himself lived out? No. So you can't affect it. All that you can affect is your righteousness. Now, this isn't to say that we don't produce righteous acts. And as we walk with God more, we can produce more and more righteous acts and righteous works. We can certainly do that. But it has nothing to do with your righteousness. Your righteous acts are a result of His righteousness. But it does not affect it. His righteousness is always going to be the same. He is perfectly righteous. You can't make Him more righteous by you being good. (laughs) Can you? Get a righteous mentality. Rule and reign in this life. Right now. His righteousness affects us now. First John, in First Epistle of John, he says, As he is, so are we in this world. So understand that. Go over that in your head. I go over sometimes that verse over my head over and over. I still remember the first person who taught me that verse. Dr. Ken Stewart in a Rhema class, first year. In fact, it was the first half of the year because he only taught us the first half of the year and then he, he went off to some other place. But he was there for that part. And he went over that verse over and over. As he is, as he is now, as he is in heaven, as righteous as he is, as he is, as he rules and reigns in this life, as he is righteous, as he is rich, as He is merciful, as He is patient, as He has all supply, 
as He is all-powerful, as He is, so are we in the next life. No. In this world. What a powerful verse that is. As He is, so are we in this world. Confess that over and over. And every time the devil wants to get you mindful of who you are and what you have and what you're hindered by, as He is, so are we in this world. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All stand up with me. Father, we thank You. As He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. Thank You, Father God, for bringing us to that place. We thank You that we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That when You see us, Father, You see His righteousness. Glory be to God. So we can rule and we can reign in this life. Glory to God. Thank You, Father, for it. We are not hindered by our shortcomings. We are not hindered by what has held us back. We are mindful of His righteousness. And when the enemy comes and reminds us who we are, what we've done, what we've messed up on, we just look to the Word of God. What the second Adam did overdid what the first Adam did. By faith, I received that grace. By grace, I don't get what I deserve. And I rule and reign in this life. Because as He is, so are we in this world. We thank You for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Bruce will ask you to get some music ready as we celebrate communion here this morning. What He did on the cross culminated in all that He did in His life. He lived life victory over sin. Sin did not pull Him down. Sin did not deceive Him. He never gave in to it. He always stayed victorious. And then went to the cross and because of that, all our sin was put on Him. So I wear His righteousness. As the ushers distribute the juice and the bread. Spend some time meditating yourself. Get that righteous mentality. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am not the righteousness of Steve. I am not the righteousness of Connie. I am not the righteousness of Vanessa. I am not the righteousness of Matt. I am not the righteousness of Ray. I am the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. Boy, what a concept. And though it's one we've been long familiar with, too often in our daily lives, we don't let it dominate us. We let other things dominate us. Sin consciousness. Oh, Father God, I keep messing up for You. Oh, Father God, I keep coming up short. Oh, Father God, I just wish I had victory over this. Oh, I wish I was better for You over here. Oh, I wish I could do this. We're constantly mindful of what we have done that is short. Be mindful of what He has done that is plenty sufficient. Glory to God.